Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. Hi, everyone. It's Casper. And Vanessa. And just a little note to say that we recorded this episode in mid-May, so it might sound a little out of context. I hope you heard our previous support for the movement of Black Lives, and we encourage you to check out the website where we've posted some resources to help get involved with the movement at harrypottersacredtext.com. We also recorded this before J.K. Rowling disappointed us again by doubling down on her hateful speech against trans and non-binary people. We want to say that we love our trans and non-binary listeners and the community response that we have seen has been really beautiful. So we just want to say that we feel comfortable condemning J.K. Rowling and her transphobia, but still gathering around the books. But we also understand if you need to take a break from Harry Potter right now. We will be here when you come back and we love you. Chapter 7, The Will of Albus Dumbledore He was walking along a mountain road in the cool blue light of dawn. Far below, swathed in mist, was the shadow of a small town. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Caspar Tekal. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A huge thanks to our amazing patrons supporting Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Big thanks to Maisie Ruddy, Catherine DeGalu-Pierce, Gabriella Gill, Dominique Cruteau, and Lena Beck. What a fabulous list of names. I know. Our listeners have better names than we do. If you could create a double-barreled name, what would it be? Like a hyphenated last name? Yeah. In England, we call that double-barreled. Oh, got it. 
I would want mine to be Nettleman Zoltan. Oh. Because Ariana and I are married. What about you? Would you add Lair? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sure. I would probably go of like of Austria, like, or, or, you know, just like add a whole country, you know, like Casper Terkel of Chile and Austria, including all its castles. I would like to think that you would do of Holland. Well, the Dutch royal family are called of orange. That's why the oh, Dutch color right. is orange. Yeah. We also would like to say that if you find yourself in or near Riga, Latvia, Mooney's Academy is run by Lota Larmani, and you can find out about the Latvia group and all of our groups at harrypottersacredtext.com. I'm so thrilled to know we have people gathering around a sacred text in Riga. That is revelatorily wonderful. Casper, while we have everybody here, we just want to remind you about our amazing summer camp and let you know that some incredible people are going to be joining us, including John Green, Mike Schubert from Potterless, the incomparable women from Witch Please, and many, many others. To find out more, go to harrypottersacredtext.com. Casper, it is your turn to tell a story through the theme of identity. What have you got for us today? So... I was very lucky to grow up with a gay uncle. In fact, two gay uncles, because my uncle's son, or Alexander in English, had been with his partner, Jim, for many years. Certainly growing up, they came as a pair, and I've so appreciated them as presences in my life of showing what a committed, loving gay couple can look like from a very early age. And one of the things that I'll always treasure was that when I came out to my uncle, he wrote me a letter illustrating all of these kind of great characters in history who were gay, particularly the artists and musicians and sculptors and really this long legacy of particularly gay men who I could see myself in that lineage, that I had my own ancestors in a way. And I love discovering these historical figures because it makes me feel proud. It makes me feel like there were people who have achieved interesting things or that give me a sense of context in which my life is lived as well. And so I'm always very confused when we get to the month of June and the traditional celebration of pride, which, you know, is a, is an amazing festival that lifts up the dignity of all queer people, even though it has changed shape significantly since, you know, its early days, nearly half a century ago, when, when it was a political protest with a powerful message. Today, it's more of a celebration and often you'll see corporate sponsors and I've participated in like one pride parade, but I've never gone back. And I think it's partly because I feel that the things that I'm most proud about of being a gay person and, and feeling part of that bigger identity is really not <laughs> the thing that's celebrated on the streets of pride festivals. Like I don't drink. And so the kind of party culture feels a little flat to me. There's only so much energy you're going to get from like an elderflower press A. And it feels like what we celebrate on the streets of Pride is like hot bodies and skimpy clothing and like, yay, sex is great. But there's so much more about this identity that I feel connected to, which I don't see celebrated in the big festivals. And so I'm always, I'm always a little confused at myself about why that particular festival doesn't resonate more with me. And we're reading this chapter through the theme of identity, which makes it 
complicated because if you want to claim an identity, but the public celebration of it looks like something that isn't what you want to claim, it's really confusing. Oh, absolutely. I think that that is one of the real burdens of having any sort of minority identity, right, which we've talked about before, is feeling as though you're supposed to belong in all of these different situations and feel as though you're being represented by anybody who claims the same identity. Whereas if you're in a majority identity, that's not a burden you have, right? Like, I don't think wealthy straight white men look at Trump and are like, oh, you're giving us a bad name. (laughs) And I know that this isn't the same, but I felt that way about the Women's March. Mm. I love feminism. And I was outraged that Trump was elected and I went to the Women's March. But like, I hate crowds. <laughs> and I like have endometriosis, so sometimes need the bathroom at the last minute. And so right. parades are really hard for me. And right, like these physical expressions of identity can sometimes just be tricky. And I think that it's okay if we don't want to go to all the things. Yeah, that's so helpful, Vanessa, because it there are so many ways of expressing a particular identity. And I and I think maybe the thing that feels stifling is if it's seen like this is the way, right? Like this right. is your month. This is your day. Like you better take it. It's it's when it's kind of constricted and that this is this is the little playpen that you have. And if it doesn't feel like it's yours, it feels invalidating, you know? Because I worry, like, why well, am I letting the the team down? Like, should I should I be doing something else? But, you know, put me in a musical gala. Give me the Tony Awards. (laughs) I'm very happy. (laughs) Well, you did such a beautiful job of setting up this really great conversation about identity. But should we remind people that my identity is 30 Second Recap Queen? Well, I think we should identify what happens in this chapter. (laughs) Okay. Can you count me in love? Three, two, one, go. Harry is having visions and he wakes up and he's like, don't tell Hermione. I don't know how she wants me to stop it. Oh, my God. It's my birthday. Akio glasses. Make everything fly. Ron gives him a book. What? Ron knows how to read. Um, Hermione gives him something. The Everybody gives him, you know, chocolates and things from friend George. And then um, Mrs. Weasley gives him a watch of her brother and then she bakes him a snitch cake. And then the will comes with Scrimjaw. And um, Ron gets a deluminator and Hermione gets a book and Harry gets the snitch and Scrimjaw is like, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) He sounds like a lion. So he talks like this. He has a mane. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Maybe he's more like the Wizard of Oz and he's like, I have no courage, but I'm Minister of Magic. (laughs) (laughs) He's the cowardly lion. He's the cowardly lion. That makes sense. Actually, that kind of does. More on that story later. Okay. Can you fill in the one or two things I missed? Yes. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay. So first of all, um, Harry's having dreams again. And Gregorovich, who we don't know who that is, but we know his name. Voldemort is searching for him. Scary, scary, scary. So um, then Scrimjaw arrives and is like, I have the will and last testament of Dumbledore. And Hermione's like, oh, you did that because you had 31 days within the magical law. And then he's like, do you want to be a lawyer? And she's like, no, I want to do something useful with my life. Um, and then they share the things. And um, both Hermione and Harry have never heard of these children's stories. And Ron's like, everyone knows them. Um, but it's written in runes. So that's exciting. Um, and then, you know, people are chilling and they say, no, I'm still Dumbledore's man, basically. Don't you know the story of Hibbity Bibbity? <laughs> Hibbity Bibbity and the Boobala Boobala Bops? Everybody <laughs> knows that one. Oh my God, I love the Boobala Boobala Bops. 
So where did you see identity in this chapter show up? So there was a moment where Harry specifically wonders about Hermione's identity Mm. in a way that I thought was really interesting. So Scrimjaw is like basically running a law school class. It's like full of Socratic method being like, (laughs) can anybody tell us why? And Hermione is like, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. And Harry says that he wonders if she's just so used to having the answers that she like can't help but answer the questions. And this was interesting to me because I saw that as Harry entirely misunderstanding Hermione's identity. Mm. What I think Hermione is actually doing in this moment is taking care of Ron and Harry. She is like, he is tricking you. She's trying to warn him maybe to not touch the snitch because maybe it'll open. Right. She's coaching Ron about like, no, you were close to Dumbledore. Remember? (laughs) Wink, wink. And I think that this goes to show something that I have often felt true about my identity, which is that you can outgrow something about yourself, Mm. right? Like she used to be a know-it-all, but... I really do think like around the time of Dumbledore's army, when she's standing up to Umbridge, she clearly does not care if teachers like her. She cares if people are learning and if justice is being done. And this is an old perception of her identity that Harry has here. And what makes it hard is that she's actually doing the same action, but it's expressing a different identity. And so from the outside, it looks like it's the same thing. And there's been an internal shift, which, you know, Harry isn't able to fathom, I think, in this moment and just sees it as a continuation. That's really interesting. It's just so funny to me how much he's missing something so profoundly true about Hermione. And he even says at one point, I wish I could read her mind. And I'm like, dude, you don't have to. She is talking to you and you're just dismissing it because you are misunderstanding her identity. I just think it's interesting the ways that identities can follow us. Yeah, I mean, that that sense of like your identity following you. I mean, that's why I loved going from high school to college, because suddenly I wasn't the 13 year old in an 18 year old's body anymore. Right. Like I had really struggled at that younger age and I could never escape people's perception of me. And I was like, I blossomed people, but no one could see it. Right. And so being able to start again and like establishing an identity. I mean, I think this is one of the reasons why I love the month of September, because in some sort of mythical place in my mind, it's still the beginning of a new school year and I get to kind of recreate who I want to be in the world. And so that that idea that we can co-create to some extent our identity is such a is such a freeing proposition because it means that we get to change and we are all changing all of the time. And so any anytime we get stuck somewhere or people don't let us grow and change, that's when it feels constricting. And so One of the things I wish, you know, for all three of them, which we won't get to see very much, of course, is that after this year is finished, like each of them also gets to recreate who they are as Ron and Harry and Hermione, that they won't be forever cramped into just this hero's story that they are going to experience, because that's not going to be fulfilling when you're 45 or 67 or 23, honestly. Um, Ron is, you know, doing this like very concerted effort to have a change in public identity in this Mm. chapter. So it's Harry's birthday and he gives Harry this book (laughs) that Fred and George have given him. And 
it is seems to me to be a more acceptable version of the pickup artist. I was going to say it's it's a little icky, right? It's about complimenting and like a little bit manipulating women. I mean, ooh. if more people manipulated me by giving me <laughs> like what feel like accurate compliments, <laughs> like, yes, Molly Weasley did do a beautiful job with the cake and Hermione isn't just brilliant, but does have an eye for decoration. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fine. At least the impact on Ron is mostly good. I mean, he's really stepping up here. Yeah. This book has inspired him to, like, notice awesome things that the women in his life are doing. Yeah. And he's saying, like, it would have helped him navigate the lavender situation better, which God knows it's great that he's regretting how he handled that situation. Such a good moment of reflection and reevaluation. You know, sure, he doesn't say it in the best way. He says it would have helped him get rid of Lavender better, but it would have helped him do it better. And God knows he did the worst possible job. <laughs> so I don't know how icky this book is because I haven't read it, but it seems to be having a positive effect on Ron. And I'm really proud to see his identity changing from like emotional wear with all of a teaspoon to like tablespoon or like quarter cup. And I think we even see that in his reaction to walking in on Harry and Ginny kissing, right? Like we've seen him be really focused on Ginny. Like, why are you doing this? Like, you're so dumb for liking Harry, right? All of this stuff around Ginny's behavior. But even though he is frustrated and angry, it's more at Harry. He's like, why are you doing this? Like, he's protective of his sister, but not yeah. in a way that like she's done something wrong. He he cares for her in a way that I found actually quite mature and, and sweet. Yeah, instead of slut-shaming her, he's worried about her feelings, right? Yeah, yeah. He's like, I had to watch her grieve your relationship, and I don't want to watch her be sad again. And in fact, he's holding his friend to a fellow high standard, which I think is the best thing that men can do for each other, is be like, that is not an appropriate way to treat a woman. This is a total breakthrough. Go, Mr. Weasley. I do think that sometimes our identities can just follow us around like, chains around our necks, holding on to these horrible perceptions of one another can have like a prophecy fulfillment to them, right? If I constantly treated my younger brother like he was six, he would stop coming to me with issues being like, you yeah. always treat me like I'm six. Yeah. And I think this is where sometimes transparency can get in the way, because if we know everything about someone it's likely that we can't help but judge them about something. So, for example, I started having a pen pal who's incarcerated and I have no idea why he's in jail. I haven't Googled him. I don't I don't want to. I don't want to know because I want to have a friendship as much as you can over email with someone to just be be a companion, share stories about my life, learn stories about his life. And I, I don't want my conception of him to be shaped by a particular act that he did that's illegal. But I can imagine that my perception of who he is as a human being would be so shifted by knowing this one detail about him that was, you know, many years ago. So if it's not something in which we can self-express, right, choose how we express identity, I think that's when it can feel like it's a, a prison, right, that, that other people get to shape what the identity means, not us. And I think we see that with Lupin, right? He mm. runs away from Scrimjaw like he's a criminal. When they get the news that the Minister for Magic is coming to Harry's birthday dinner, as is, is Scrimjaw says, gate crashing the birthday party, 
Lupin and Tonks are like, we got to go. And it's because the ministry is using werewolves as scapegoats right now. And I think that we know that in difficult times, we scapegoat certain perceived identities. And therefore, you do, to some extent, the fate of your life gets reduced to this one identifying marker about you that, you know, in sort of peace times, you can drink Wolfsbane and Dumbledore will hire you. And <laughs> and then in wartime, you're being rounded up for no reason at all. Yeah. Where else did you see this theme of identity, Casper? I mean, we're celebrating Harry's birthday and it's his 17th birthday, which is a marker in the wizarding world. Harry's becoming an adult. And so this is a really important moment for Harry. And it's celebrated in this beautiful, I mean, everyone's giving gift, but he receives a beautiful gift from Mrs. Weasley, as you mentioned in the recap of Uncle Fabian's watch. And we learn in this chapter that receiving this magical kind of watch is a traditional gift on your coming of age. And what's so lovely is it's, it's yes, it's about the watch, because of course, it's a moment of, of feeling like an adult and belonging to this next stage. But what really is going on at an identity level in this gift is that it's Uncle Fabian's watch. And that Mrs. Weasley says, you know, it's old and it's and it's not new and it, it, it's been pre-owned. But for Harry, that means it's been pre-loved and it means that he is part of their family, right? To receive a family gift, a family heirloom means that he is part of their family. And I think the birthday doesn't just mean Harry's identity of becoming a man, becoming an adult. It's actually a sort of a nearly legal moment of becoming a member of the Weasley family, which I just found so touching when I read it this time. Me too. And now this is his home base, yeah. right? He's given up yeah. Privet Drive and Mrs. Weasley's like, it's traditional for parents to give their kids a watch and take this family heirloom. Mm -hmm. It is so touching and so beautiful. And Mrs. Weasley, I don't know, at some point took on this identity as Harry's mom, right? Like really early in book one, because mm -hmm. she made him a sweater in year one. Yes. And she just took him and like never looked back. Mm -hmm. And it to me is like all of the beauty of Chosen Family that you can really entirely be a part of a family that you weren't born to and have the upside of being able to make out with one of your sisters. <laughs> I was going to say, it's going to be legal at some point. Yes. <laughs> upside. Don't need to leave the family for the dating pool. And I actually thought, you know, we really see everybody's identity represented in the mm. gifts. And I do think that gifts are an interesting thing about identity, right? The gift giver is trying to show the gift receiver, I understand something about your identity. Yeah. But the gift giver can't help but reveal something about their own identity yes. in what they choose to give. So Mrs. Weasley, like, cannot help but be, like, the most perfect human in the history of the world. <laughs> Hagrid can't help but give this, like, representative of, like, keeping precious things safe mm. and, like, memories. And it comes from an animal. It's just, like, very Hagrid. You know, the twins give a bunch of Weasley's wizard wheezes gifts, you know, and more generous than they probably would be with Ron because they can't help but be themselves. Ron is sharing a new part of his identity 
And then, of course, there's like this big moment of Ginny offering a kiss as her Mm. gift. And she sort of walks him through, right? Like, I was trying to think of what to get you. And like, I didn't want to weigh you down, which is a very Ginny thing to be thoughtful about, like letting him break up with her to not weigh him down while he's gone. And she's funny and sweet and bold. And so I just think that all of these presents are ways of revealing I know you, and this is me. That's beautiful. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. So you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. What's really cool is that I think actually at the end of this chapter, we see Harry like embodying this new identity of being a member of the family or or of being an adult as well. When he's leading with Ron and Hermione Scrimgeour into the living room where they sit down to have a conversation, he's the one who uses magic to flick on the lights. And it, it struck me as this little moment, but... In some ways, first of all, to be the person to like lead someone into a room and make the room comfortable for a conversation, it's taking on this host responsibility. And then, of course, he's using magic, which otherwise would not be allowed. He's illustrating his adulthood. And so I love that because I think it marks the change. It's it's the fruit of the changes that we've seen in these celebrations and in these gifts. Oh, my God. I love that. He's like, I am Weasley. I am adult. <laughs> yeah. All of that in the flicking of a light. <laughs> Which Ron now has the power to turn off. Right. 
I mean, we should talk about those three gifts because this is the central moment of the chapter in which Ron receives the Deluminator, which he didn't really understand why. Hermione receives this book of runes with the tales of Beetle the Bard. And Harry receives the Snitch. Now, I'm not going to lie. I always have a moment of frustration because I'm like, Dumbledore, if you could write a message, why didn't you write some instructions on the snitch? (laughs) But each of these objects, I think, is inherently connected to the trio's identity. Of course, Quidditch for Harry, learning and puzzle solving for Hermione. I want you to help me understand what does the Deluminator have to do with Ron's identity? I think we find out later that The Deluminator is how Ron finds Hermione and Harry again after Ron storms off. And there's this beautiful meaning-making moment between Ron and Harry when that happens, when Ron says, Dumbledore gave it to me because he knew I'd leave you. And Harry says, no, Dumbledore gave it to you because he knew you'd want to come back. Yeah. And what a wonderful identity metaphor of Ron that by leaving, he can take all the light away and by coming back, he can bring all the light back, right? Mm. That I think that we, we can understand why Ron feels as though he's the third wheel or like not a necessary part of the trio. But Dumbledore is saying like, no, you're the light bearer. This trio needs you. So I think it's a beautiful gift. Ron Lightbearer Weasley. Talk about double-barreled last names. Yes. <laughs> and can we talk about a really silly place that I saw identity yes. in this chapter? Charlie is like, Mom, my identity is my hair. Yeah, don't screw with my hair. And this is just a battle of identities, right? And she has like taken this trump card of like, it's your brother's wedding. These pictures are going to last forever. I don't care anymore. <laughs> but he, like Ron says at the end of the chapter, I bet you it's Charlie trying to regrow his hair. Like this is like not a joke to Charlie. And I think that many of us, I would almost guarantee you that over 50% of our audience has cried after a haircut. Oh, yeah. I have. There is something about hair and identity. Like I could be insulted in the street and I'm like, that's fine. And I get a haircut, which will regrow within weeks that I don't like. And I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. Well, I've had the crying in the other way as well, where I'm like, this looks amazing. I wish I'd done this sooner. I mean, one of our classmates at Divinity School was a hairdresser before she came to school and wrote about the theology of transforming through haircut. Because I think many, many people who work in salons or, you know, do work that changes the physical appearance of our body. It's a freaking therapeutic experience because it, it there's so much identity wrapped into it, right? Why do you dye your hair blue? Why do you cut it short? Why do you grow it long? Why do you, right? All of these questions. Why do you get tattoos or piercings or dress a certain way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So sometimes like when you have a haircut, you're still discovering how you want to present yourself. You know, I don't think sometimes we immediately know you have to try things out. But then there's another moment in the text which gives us a different angle on this, which is that Charlie tells Hagrid that Norbert is actually Norberta. First of all, I love that Hagrid is like, yay, wonderful. So take that, J.K. Rowling. Um, But (laughs) more generally, just that sense of like sometimes how we have expected someone's identity to be is actually incorrect. It's misapplied by the rest of society. It's misidentified. And we need to learn and catch up and hooray for Norberta. So, Casper, can we talk about, like, the identity moment in the chapter? What's that? When Scrimjaw says, and I quote, 
You may wear that scar like a crown, Potter. It's the ultimate like villain line. It's so good. It's so good. And it's just so interesting, right? The identity miscommunication that's happening here. Scrimjaw is saying you are a self-anointed king and you are just walking around the world making it worse like a tyrant. And for Harry, he's like, this is an albatross around my neck. I would give it up in a second. I can't control my own dreams. I wish I could just stay here and be with my girlfriend and our mommy. And like, I don't want this. And it's just, you know, it's it's just a tiny scar, right? It's just a tiny scar. And it can symbolize such different things to different people. I mean, Scrimshaw loses his cool. He literally singes a hole in Harry's T-shirt. I mean, he is not in control of his own emotions. And because this scar has come to represent not the ministry's capacity for solving the problem, but their ineptitude. He already knows that the whispers are there, that Harry is going to be the only one who can take down Voldemort. So this scar has come to represent Scrimshaw's powerlessness, which I can imagine him feeling super frustrated by. And yet to Harry, it's this sense of like an unasked for burden. Yeah, I think that his identity is as a leader. And these mm-hmm. three freaking kids right. like, aren't answering his questions. It's like, do you know who I am? And I think it's just like so important for people of privilege and power to have people like this in their lives who are like, your power is a fiction that we've just all agreed to. And like, I don't buy into that fiction. Yeah. So, Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice, and we're going to continue with our Lectio Divina practice. And I'm going to choose a sentence at random from this chapter, and the sentence is, she suppressed a sob. She suppressed a sob. So, Vanessa, in the first step of Lectio Divina, we're going to ask ourselves, what's happening at a narrative level? So, where are we in the text? She suppressed a sob. So this is when Hermione has just been given Beetle the Bard and she gets weepy about it, which I did mm. find confusing. So I'm excited to talk about this. Not confusing, like judging her, just like, oh, that's interesting that you're so touched by this when you didn't really have a relationship with Dumbledore. So I was I was wondering what was going on there with Hermione. So I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. And she's saying it straight after kind of being frustrated. She's like, you know, I'm sure if the ministry hasn't found any hidden codes in it for the 31 days that you've owned this, I'm sure I'm not going to find anything. There's a sense that it's not just about the memory of Dumbledore, but it's also about like, I don't know what to do about this. Like, what am what am I going to do with this? There's no hidden codes. Well, it's been tampered with, right? Also, which also mm. feels dirty. You're like, Pfft. You've had your fingers all over it. Also, don't you think Hermione is saying that because she 100% knows that she's going to be able to figure out a code that the whole ministry couldn't? It's like total false modesty. It's like, well, if you, minister, couldn't figure something out, how will little old me be able to? She's like already cracking it. I don't think that's true. I, I think there's still something in Hermione that's oriented around expecting other people to be as smart as she is, or at least the people in charge. I I don't know. I'm doubting myself now, but I can imagine that the sob is also a little bit about a sense of, 
I don't think I am going to find anything in here. Yeah, I mean, I do think that that sob is about a lot of things. It's about mm. that on some level, Dumbledore did know her and did know that she likes to read and likes books and that it's tragic that he was killed. And she may also be pretending. Like, you know what, she's a a smarty and she might just be like trying to divert Scrimgeour because she knows that Harry's next. So she might be trying to like disrupt Scrimgeour's flow. Who knows? Uncle Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) He told me he'd give me this. I can't believe he remembered. (laughs) All right, let's go to step two and ask ourselves what allegorical meaning might this sentence have? So she suppressed a sob. What images, stories, musical references, paintings, TV shows, what what does this remind us of in our imagination? She suppressed a sob. I'm thinking of my least favorite scene of my very favorite movie, which is You've Got Mail. Like the last scene when Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks meet each other in the park. And Meg Ryan is like, Joe, I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so bad. And it's my it's my least favorite scene because I love the promise of them being together more than the reality. But the sobbing is a sob of relief. Like she likes him. She already knows she likes him. And now she knows that she loves him because it's the guy she likes with the unknown mystery person who she's fallen in love with. So like sobs can be, we immediately think it's about sadness, but maybe there's other emotions in here as well for Hermione. Yeah, it reminds me of, I think, one of my all-time favorite scenes in any movie ever, which is in Steel Magnolia, (gasps) where Sally Field sobs through that final speech. And the thing that makes her sob Right. Like her daughter has died. Her grandson has become like an orphan. Right. This horrible thing has happened and she's really held it together. And the thing that makes her cry is she looks at herself in a mirror and it reminds her of something that her daughter, something mean that her daughter had said to her once about her haircut. And it makes her laugh, which the laughter is what breaks her into sobs. Yes. That there's just like, God, she was a person who said mean things about my hair and like that's it right and so I think that I wonder if for Hermione this is just catharsis like he gave me a book that's so beautiful like this man who I admired gave me a book and there's just something about right like we never know what it is that's going to make us sob it can actually be something like funny that like tips us over It also reminds me of this great show that's on Netflix right now called Never Have I Ever, Hmm. where it's about a woman grieving her husband and the daughter grieving her father. So it's a mother-daughter who are grieving this man together. And what they're not doing is crying together. They're both trying to be strong for each other. And a therapist says to them, maybe the thing you need to do to save your family is to fall apart because then by falling apart, you can come back together. And we see that in this chapter, right? She starts crying and Ron reaches out and puts his arm around her. There's something really important about crying. It gets people to take care of you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Let's move to step three. So now we ask ourselves, what in our own lives does this phrase or sentence remind us of? What have we experienced that resonates with this piece of text? She suppressed a sob. 
So it reminds me of a childhood story about myself that I do not remember, but that my grandma liked to tell about me, (laughs) which is that I once said to my grandma, well, I need a nap because I cried and that makes me tired. (laughs) And she was like, okay, (laughs) and like tucked me in for a nap. But I do, I think that there's something just like exhausting about a proper sob. And I'm glad that three-year-old Vanessa knew that. But there's something transformational, right, about mm-hmm. a sob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of, oh gosh, I must have been 15 or so. And there was a movie with Julianne Moore that came out called Far From Heaven. And I knew that it was going to be a movie that would make me cry. And so I wanted to go see it, but I wanted to go see it alone. And there's something, I don't know, in that ritual of like going to see a movie alone. And for me, just like bawling my eyes out, like there's a safety in crying and I don't know that there's something wonderful about crying in a movie, <laughs> which it seems to unlock something, at least in me, that makes it easier to cry sometimes. And like going and paying for it, right? Being like, yes. I need a good cry. Yes. Like sometimes I need a laugh and sometimes I need a cry and I'm going to go pay $8 and like pay for my cry. One, well, it also reminds me that because it's a sob that's suppressed and I think in some ways, we don't often have space for, you know, full belly laughs and full sadness. Like it, it's seen as risky or dangerous or unhinged. And I always think of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who talks about to stay fully human, you have to laugh every day and you have to cry every day because such is the full experience of emotions in the world that if, if we can't do that on the daily, like it's a practice to cry every day, to feel the sadness, but also to feel the joy that when we suppress it, we're kind of suppressing our humanity. And so I know that I definitely do that, right? I'm like, oh, this is inappropriate to cry right now. And and genuinely, sometimes it can be, but I guess I'm moving into step four because I'm beginning to think about what is this piece of text inviting me to do? And I I think that's what I want to take away is like, if, you know, if I'm at home or if I'm with people I know and trust, or even if I'm in public and I want to cry or I feel that sense of it kind of growing in me, like, Lean into that. It's not the end of the world. It's just some salty water. How about you? Yeah, I think I also want to like go pretty far on destigmatizing crying. I know that there have been times in my life where I've really tried hard to suppress crying because I'm afraid that the other person will see me yeah. as crazy. And so to me, it's about I want to go out of my way to just when people are crying near me to completely normalize it, right? Right. It's like sometimes snot comes out of our nose and sometimes (laughs) tears come out of our eyes. And like, Mm -hmm. these are like bodily functions that happen and they are completely acceptable. As my grandmother would say, better than the other way around. Snot coming out of your eyes and tears coming out of your nose. (laughs) True. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This week's voicemail is in response to the chapter In Memoriam and is from Anonymous. Hi there, Casper, Vanessa, Ariana, and the whole Sacred Text gang. Um, I'm going to remain anonymous. I think why will soon become clear. Um, I know that within the Sacred Text community and within the Harry Potter community at large, we have a lot of issues with Dumbledore as a character and the person he becomes. Um, But I want to extend a blessing for him today because I've recently come to empathise with him more than I ever thought possible. Um, I want to draw your attention to something you guys said in the the last podcast, which is that Dumbledore kind of cheerfully acknowledges the fact that he has this muggle-hating father uh, who went to jail when he was young for attacking a bunch of of muggle boys. Um, I'm sure that this is just because you haven't got to that chapter yet and maybe it's a while since you reread the whole book. But actually, um, Dumbledore's father, Percival, I think his name was, wasn't a muggle-hater. He attacked those muggle boys because they assaulted his daughter uh, and went to jail holding his hands up saying, yes, I did this, but he had good reason to. Obviously, he never explained why he'd done that because he didn't want Ariana to be put in St Mungo's or um, treated as a freak, which were Dumbledore's words. Um, When I was uh, six years old, Uh, I was told that my dad was going away for an extended business trip. Um, He left without saying goodbye, um, but I was a kid and kind of just accepted this. Um, I didn't see my dad for two years. Last year, um, on a whim, I googled my dad's name, as as you do, and uh, his mugshot came up. Um, and I was horrified to read the article that followed, which stated that my dad had been imprisoned uh, for those two years for sexually assaulting a woman. 
Um, I had a really long conversation with him and my mum after I discovered this and found out the whole sad truth, which was that my dad, in fact, hadn't sexually assaulted her, um, but had been sent to jail anyway by a police officer with a history of racism. As a black man in the early noughties, my dad didn't really stand a chance of a fair trial. I really wrestled with this for a long time because as a feminist, I believe it is my duty to believe women and believe victims and and, and survivors of assault. But as a black woman, I'm also very aware of the pervading narrative that black men are sexual predators and dangers to white women. Now, of course, there are some black men that are sexual predators, um, but my dad wasn't one of them. uh, And I know this for a fact for a variety of reasons and I've had it attested by a variety of sources. Um, I just want to extend a blessing for Dumbledore because although discovering this about my dad was really traumatic and horrible, I'm in my 20s now and I was able to process it fairly well. And I have so much love and respect for both of my parents for shielding me from that knowledge because how can a child process that? And I just think that it must have been so difficult for Dumbledore to process the knowledge that his dad has what is effectively a very violent streak And at least I was able to make my peace with the whole situation because I know my dad didn't do it. But not only was Dumbledore aware that his dad was in jail, but he was also aware that his dad was guilty of the crime he committed, whatever his reasoning. So I just want to extend a blessing for anyone who has had to grow up too quickly or realise too soon that their parents aren't infallible and are just people. It's a really hard lesson to learn. And I, even though I think I learned it younger than most, I'm still glad that I had a lot of my childhood preserved and a lot of that knowledge kept from me. Um, I love you all and I love this community and I I love all the people that I speak to on the Facebook group. Um, And thank you for the work that you do and how thoughtful and, and kind and considered you are. All the best in this strange, scary, difficult time. Hug your loved ones and remember that our dads are flawed, difficult people in a patriarchal, misogynistic society, but they do do their best. Bye. Wow, that was just such an incredible message to give. And the first thing that I want to do is just thank you for your generosity of spirit and correctly addressing us as having forgotten this plot point. I think that, you know, at the end of your voicemail, you thank us for being kind. And I just think that all we are ever doing is like being a pale shadow of this community, which is Mm. so kind to us. And you just lived through that voicemail. An example of the kind of person who like we are trying to be, which is acknowledging the complexity of a situation, Mm -hmm. saying, I believe women, but this was a more complicated situation than that. And I have to walk through the world with these complicated truths. And I just want to truly thank you for like being an inspiration for how to walk a difficult line. And thank you for sharing that incredible story. And I am so, so sorry that that happened to your father and your mother and to you. And I mean, I just want to say to your parents that that is an incredible thing that they gave you and I'm I'm sorry that they had to go through that but good parents can just give us these gifts of you know protection anyway just thank you so much for that story and for sharing it with us and what a powerful way to re 
examine Dumbledore as well. I think it's a really beautiful invitation. I'm not going to be able to think of Dumbledore again without thinking of your story. So thank you, anonymous listener. I appreciate you very much. Let's continue our blessing, Vanessa. And I want to ask you, who would you like to bless in this chapter? I was going to bless Molly, but I just like would be repeating myself. It's like, Molly, you're the best. (laughs) So I just want to say it's still true. Molly is the best, but like, I don't want to repeat myself too much. So I'm going to bless Ginny for just like being the sexiest character in these books (laughs) and being like, do you know what your present is? A kiss from me. You're welcome. (laughs) True, Ginny. That is a gift. It's a badass move. It's a really badass move. It is like so much cooler than anything I've ever done in my (laughs) whole life. And she's 16. So this blessing is for all the cool people out there. Thank you. Keep up the great work. You're an inspiration to people (laughs) like me. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? I wanted to bless Charlie. We've heard lots about Charlie, of course, but we don't get to spend much time with him. And I'm imagining that he's coming back, as so many of us do, to find our parents older. And maybe, you know, especially in this time, he's seeing them nervous and he's seeing them in danger. And there's, of course, this strange transition that happens as we age where the person who's being cared for becomes the caretaker. And I can imagine Charlie in that context is really navigating when to allow his mom to cut his hair and lay down the ground rules. And when for him as someone who's out there in the world and becoming more and more responsible for the whole family in a way, when he needs to step into his caretaking responsibility. So for anyone who's navigating that with, you know, their own parents or other other older people that they care for, a blessing, a blessing for you. I love that Charlie is like, yeah, I handle some of the most vicious animals in the entire world, but I can't get my mom to not cut my hair. <laughs> like, relatable, Charlie. <laughs> You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and join our thriving Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about the episode, and to learn more about our mutual aid efforts organized by and for the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text community. It's been amazing. Already more than $10,000 has changed hands, time, new friendships, artworks, all sorts of things are being shared across the community to help us make this through. Thank you everyone for being involved. Please support us on Patreon. It's a really powerful way in which you can make sure our podcast continues to thrive. And of course, you can always leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. Thank you to everyone who's bought a copy of The Power of Ritual. I'll stop talking about it in a few weeks, I promise. But what I'm not going to stop talking about is our amazing summer camp experience. The online, immersive, joyful experience you've been waiting for from July 26th to August 2nd. It's a choose-your-own-adventure series of programming, and you can join us for the whole week, just the weekend, or one of our evening live shows. All the information is at harrypottersacredtext.com. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 8, The Wedding, through the theme of independence. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we're distributed by Acast. This week's beautiful voicemail is from Anonymous. We'd like to thank, as always, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next week.
Paul, what's what's his name? Dragojevich? Gregorovich. Paul Gregorovich is just like, why is Dumbledore so obsessed with me? Voldemort? <laughs> oh, should I say Dumbledore? Yeah. Jesus. Paul Gregorovich is just like, why is Voldemort so obsessed with me? Oh my God, there's so many Regina Georges in the world. <laughs> it's like a new class of victim. <laughs> 